All right, so our primary passage this morning is going to be Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> now, I want to I give some, some introduction for five or ten minutes before we sink our teeth into that. And so one of the things that's crucial to understand our reading of the story that's unfolding in the Old Testament are, is that there's several big themes that just show up over and over again. And so as God is at work in his redemptive plan, one of the big themes we looked at last week, that in our sin and brokenness, it leads to death. It leads to death. It destroys us right here in our own hearts and lives, and we see that play out on a, on a worldwide stage. Our sin, our brokenness, our separation from God leads to death. But by God's love and his grace, he shows up to redeem and rescue us from sin and death. And so through the story of Noah, we got a glimpse of the grace and mercy of Jesus, that he covers us by his atoning blood that washes us clean and saves us and rescues us forever. Thank God. That's one of the big themes. Another big theme that we see throughout the Old Testament is this idea of the blessings of God and the covenants of God. And so we're gonna start on that this morning together. And so let's take a look at this. First of all, some of the blessings that we see God communicate right from the start. The very first one we see happens in Genesis chapter one. As God has finished creating the world, he breathes life into man and he's made man and woman. And he's at that point where he's talking about how good everything he's made is. We see in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 28, this is just the first little part of that verse. Genesis 1, 28, it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is God's original heart and intent towards all mankind, that his blessing would be on us, and that we would live fruitful lives, full lives. That's his intention for us. Well, we move a little further into the story, and as God is, is starting over with Noah, as Noah has made it through the flood, and now in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, almost verbatim, God communicates this same blessing now to Noah and his family. And so he renews this blessing to all of creation again. Genesis 9, 1, he says the same thing. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's the same phrase. And so this idea of blessing carries forward. Now, an interesting thing starts to happen in Genesis chapter 12. We go from several big picture themes that we've seen, and now we're going to see God focus in on one guy, one man, one woman, Abram, Sarah. We're going to see him pour into their lives, into the lives of their family, and what eventually becomes the nation of Israel. But God's plan in blessing them personally and specifically was a part of how his greater plan was going to work out to bless all of us. It ties in with his original blessing. And so check this out. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is the first time God shows up and begins to speak. And let me just, let me just say this up front because I will do it along the way without thinking. Abram and Abraham are the same guy. And over the course of Abram's life, God changes his name to Abraham. It's a part of their developing relationship and God's commitment to Abraham. And Abraham's um, faithfulness, even in his brokenness, even in his mistakes, his faithfulness to follow God. 
and to trust him. And so he's called Abram here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He's calling him out on an adventure, and he's giving him a rough heading. You're going to go that way to this place I'll show you when we get there. But trust me, let's go. What's he going to do? And I will make of you a great nation. Newsflash, Abraham is 75 years old and has no children at this point in his life. 75 years old, time for a new adventure, buddy. And oh, by the way, you're going to start having kids. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's me and you. We have been blessed because of this blessing that God communicated, first to all of mankind, affirmed to Adam and Eve, reaffirmed to Noah and his sons, and now God says to Abraham, I'm gonna bless your life so much, so radically, that you, a man who's, who's getting older now, who's getting older and on in years, I have a whole plan for your life that'll blow your mind. I'm gonna give you a land you've never seen. And it's such a, such a huge land and a land that is rich and full and good. And you're gonna fill that land because from you will come an entire nation. I'm gonna show my grace, my favor, my love through this nation and it's gonna touch every life on the planet. I wanna bless the world through you. That's what God is saying. And so he communicates this blessing. Now, that blessing got renewed. In our reading this week, we saw this. God still gets personal. He doesn't just let Abraham pass that information on to his kids. God shows up, and you can read this in Genesis 26, verses 3 through 5. God restates that blessing to Isaac, Abraham's son. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, in Genesis 28, 12 through 15, God again tells Jacob, I'm going to be with you like I was with Abraham and Isaac. I'll be your God. I'm going to bless your life. And so we see it reaffirmed in his family. All right, so that's blessing. This, this idea of blessing, it, it means good favor bestowed on another. I, I would almost look at it this way for us because we talked about this a little bit in a previous week. God's grace being his unmerited favor Blessing is like a vehicle he uses to get grace all over us. It's the way he pours out his favor on us with his blessing. All right? Now, covenant is another big word we're going to look at this morning. We see God making covenants with people throughout the Old Testament. We see it here in Genesis. A covenant is the idea of a pledge or an agreement. It's, it can be like an alliance or a treaty. Um, so in our vernacular, like a covenant would be like a contract. A marriage covenant is an example. Um, if you've ever bought real estate, you, you signed all kinds of things. You probably didn't even know what you were signing, but that was a covenant. Saying, I'm going to pay this at this time, or you're going to take this away if I don't, or I'm going to owe this. We, we're making a covenant agreement. And so when there's a covenant made, each party is saying what their part is. Here's what I bring to the table and I'm going to hold and keep my word. And also within a covenant is the concept of what happens if one of us breaks it. If I break this covenant, 
what are the consequences? And so God made some covenants. An example of this is the covenant he made with Noah after the flood. Let's read this together. This is Genesis 9, 15 and 16. You can see the whole thing in verses 9 through 17, but just grabbing this little part. God is speaking to Noah and he says, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. In this covenant, God just simply says, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm making a commitment to you. I'm never going to judge the world again like this. I'm never going to flood the whole earth. And the sign, the symbol that will let you know I'm going to hold to this covenant is that every time the rainbow appears in the sky, it will remind you of my promise, of my hand of mercy. And so God makes a covenant. So with that backdrop, with that in mind, God is looking to put his hand on Abraham's life. And in chapter 12, he's already communicated blessing. And now we're going to spend some time looking at the covenant that God forms with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So here we go. Y'all ready? All right, let me give you a little backdrop of Abraham's timeline here so you have a sense of where we're dropping into the story. So 75 years old, chapter 12, God calls Abraham to go to a land. It's the passage we just read. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, time has passed. We don't know exactly how much time at Genesis 15. If you read Genesis 15 as leading directly into into chapter 16, then he's 86 years old. He's 11 years into this journey. At the very least, he's somewhere between 75 and 86 He's had enough time to travel. Him and Lot have already gone through a bunch of life circumstances together. It's been years since God's original promise. And so now, most likely in his mid-80s, 11 years in, guess what hasn't happened yet? No kids. No kids. 11 years after the promise. You know, I feel like I go through dry seasons sometimes where I don't hear the Lord's voice. Abraham heard God say, I'm going to give you children And 11 years later, crickets. You know, we read these stories like they happen like this. This is a a lifetime. 11 years, crickets. And so we pick up the story at that spot. And in Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. He says, God, let's just cut to the issue. That's that's great. You're going to be my shield and all. But you remember that thing you said back there? When's that going to happen? Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram's already justifying in his mind this other plan. Like he needs to fix where God messed things up. I'm sure he's the only one that does that. None of us have ever figured out how we're gonna fix the things that God has messed up, that he said he would do and it doesn't feel like he's coming through. He's already thinking how to take matters into his own hand. Well, 
I mean, I really, I really like this servant. He's faithful. He's been, he's been a part of the family forever. Maybe he's the guy. And so we'll bless him and he'll be the heir. But he says, God, what, what gives? You have given me no child. You promised it. What's going on? And so God begins a conversation now with Abram, restating his blessing and his commitment to fulfill that blessing. Verse four now. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're even able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now stop reading. That right there is a critical moment. This is a crisis of faith moment. Abraham is 86 years old. He's been waiting 11 years for this promise that is yet to be fulfilled. And he says, God, I don't even have a single son. What are you going to do about that? And what does God say? Hold on, I'm going to sneak one in there for you. No. He says, hey, you're hung up on waiting on this one son. Let me blow your mind. Come outside and look up at the stars. That's how numerous your offspring is going to be. That's how huge my blessing is going to be on your life. Would Abraham dare to dream like that? Often in my life, I've settled for setting my sights too low. If there's one thing we can say about the Bible is that it's not lukewarm or mediocre. It's all out. The hard stuff that it has to say, it's hard. The amazing, mind-blowing promises of God, they're unbelievable. They're unbelievable. And so God is inviting Abraham to dare to believe, to dare to trust, to dare to dream. Abram, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to blow your mind with my faithfulness. You want to be able to count your descendants. And what does Abraham do? Oh, pfft. Sure, that'd be nice. You won't even give me this one. Why would I believe you for all of that? I've said that. I've said that. God, I can't even trust you with this. How can I trust you with this? That's real. That's what it feels like sometimes. But God, God is inviting Abraham to get his eyes off of himself and his limited vision and look up to this glorious, miraculous God who not only points out these numerous stars in the sky, he's the one that could just speak and they happen to be there. That kind of power, that kind of creativity. God said, will you trust me for that? This next verse should be unbelievable to us because it was unbelievable to God. Verse six, and he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham choosing to believe in the promise and blessing and favor of God and God said, faith like that, that's righteousness. There's a lot of unrighteousness that I see when I look at Abraham's life. A lot of mistakes and errors along the way. 
But God looked at him and said, that guy dares to believe that what I say to him is true. And I look at that kind of faith and I say, that guy's right with me. Me and him, we're all right. We're in good standing. God counts it to him as righteousness. Guys, this is a key biblical thing that we see throughout the Old Testament and reaffirmed in the New Testament. It's restated in Habakkuk and in several places in the New Testament simply as this. The just shall live by faith. Those who are righteous, those who are justified, it's by faith. It's by trusting in God that he will do what he said he's going to do. And I get a lot of encouragement out of the fact that at times, Abram's faith appears to be pretty questionable. How did Abraham trust God to do this through the course of his life? Well, at a certain point in time, him and Sarah devised a plan for Hagar to be the solution. Even though in another place, God said, I'm going to do this through Sarah. They took it into their own hands. Then, if that's not crazy enough, fast forward a little bit. Abraham is now 99 years old. It still hasn't happened. God appears again and says, this time next year, you're going to have a son through your wife, Sarah. Do you know what the next story is? He gets scared again, just like he did when he went to Egypt. And he said, this wife of mine is just my sister. And let the king of that region take her to potentially be his wife. God just said a year from now, you're going to have a child through Sarah. And in fear, he says, that ain't my wife, that's my sister. How did that promise get fulfilled? Because Abraham was super faithful and kept hanging in there with the Lord? No, because God was faithful. He showed up in a dream and said, Abimelech, you better not put one finger on her. She belongs to my servant, Abraham, who's kind of being a coward right now. God proved faithful when Abraham wasn't. God said, I'm going to do this. Thank God that he hangs in there with people like Abraham and people like me, and maybe you're a little bit like that too. He's faithful even when we're faithless. Thank God that when we step back and say, God, it's hard for me. It's difficult at times. If I'm honest and looking at my circumstances, I'm wondering when you're going to come through. But God, you've told me that you love me and your hand is on my life and that your blessing and your grace is going to show up. And God, I choose to believe that truth and that reality. I choose to trust you. And God looks at that kind of faith and says, that's the person who stands right with me. The promises of God are not dependent upon the strength of the will of man, but upon the faithfulness of God. Now, the conversation doesn't just stop here. They move from a conversation where God is talking to Abraham and encouraging him, and now they move into the realm of covenant. So let's watch this story as it takes a turn. Verse seven now. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abram's talking and says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's saying, God, I hear your promises. You're telling me you're gonna do this, but like, give me some kind of sign. Give me some kind of pledge. How do I know you're really gonna do this? Whoa, 
And God said, oh, okay, you want a pledge? You want a sign? Let's make a covenant. And God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, as a modern American sitting in a school gym in America, this might seem like a pretty strange story. So let me let, me let you in on what's happening here. God is saying to Abram, we're about to, to make a covenant. Abraham knows what this means. Because back then, when you made an agreement or a covenant with someone, one of the ways you would seal it was like this. You would take something of value to you, take an animal, and then you would cut that animal up into pieces. And the two people that were making the agreement, they would then walk through that gross, bloody mess together. The idea being, Whichever one of us breaks this covenant, let this be done to him. That's the idea. If I'm the one to break this covenant, my blood, my life is on the line. Do you understand the seriousness of this? So Abraham says, God, I, I trust you. I believe what you're saying, but like, would you make some pledge, some commitment? How do I know I can trust you? God says, okay, great. You want to make a covenant. Cool. I'll make a covenant with you. Now, imagine Abraham sitting there. Like, I know this is gross, but, like, it's gross for a reason. Blood is very important to God. I don't like to think about how costly and damaging my sin is. But God has made it clear from the beginning. Sin brings death. It gets paid for by blood. And so imagine Abraham preparing these animals, making this mess. And then, if that wasn't enough, apparently enough time is going on while he's waiting for God to get his act together and come down and walk this covenant. There's already buzzards showing up. And so he's out there in this gross, nasty, smelly mess, realizing, I'm about to walk out this covenant with God. Guess which one of us is the most likely to mess this thing up? Pretty sure it's not going to be him. Now, if you think I'm just imagining his emotions, let's read now verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That's like a really nice saying of, say, way of saying he got so scared to death he passed out and fell asleep. He's realizing the weight of what is on him. I am about to make a blood oath covenant with God? Ah! <laughs> I'm scared. I'm terrified. He's overwhelmed by this and he falls asleep. And then God shows up. There's, a, there's some things that the Lord says about the future in verses 13 through 16. And then in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, 
the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. God said, I'm making the covenant. And I'm so committed to making this covenant that I'm gonna walk that road alone. And it's gonna be only my blood that is spilled to fulfill this covenant of blessing that will be to you, Abraham, and to your son who's yet to come, and into an entire nation of people, and that through them, the entire world will be blessed. Because this is pointing to my son and his blood that will be shed as a sacrifice to bring the blessing that is truly needed to you and to me. God walked the covenant. Abraham did not. When God makes a covenant, he fulfills it. Now, this isn't just my opinion. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter three. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. I wanna highlight a couple things from it. But the Galatians are Gentiles who have been invited in to a relationship with Jesus. They're like me and you. And they're already starting right here at the very beginning. Like Paul's still alive. Like this is the, this is the generation that Jesus walked the earth. This, this could be like 20, 30, 40 years after his death and resurrection. Like it's right there. It's right then. And the Galatians are already being drawn into some teaching that would make them think they've got to fulfill the covenant themselves. That they have all these obligations to hold the covenant. And Paul's like, no, what are you doing? And so Galatians 3, 1, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The same way that those animals were as real as it gets for Abraham. Your savior on that cross, that's real. This isn't an idea, it's not a fairy tale, this is a reality. God himself became a man and he was crucified on our behalf and he said, this is enough. The covenant is satisfied, it's finished. I've done the work for you. And so Paul says, listen, you're slipping into this work, works-based thing like this relies upon you. It's, the foundation is upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember that truth. Verse two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit, the presence of God in your life by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you just choose to believe like Abraham that that sacrifice was real and it was for you and it was for your sin and that you could be made right with God by his work and you choosing to trust that and you can now be in right relationship with him and he gives you his spirit. He asks some more rhetorical questions over a few verses and then he lands at verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's saying that story points to Jesus. He's connecting this covenant and Abraham's willingness to believe God 
And he connects it back to Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and our willingness to trust him. He goes on. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Told you we were talking about Abraham's family this morning. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Hawkins, the Kellys, the Blevins. Those of faith are blessed through this family and are in this family by the goodness and grace of God, by the love of Jesus Christ. And the scripture, verse eight, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. These strange ancient stories with rituals that seem so unfamiliar to us, God is communicating even from the earliest days of human history his plan to redeem this world through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has made a covenant with mankind based upon him and his faithfulness and what he's gonna do on our behalf to pour out blessing and favor and grace. And our position is like Abraham's, maybe with, with some faith and a little bit of fear and just in awe of God saying, whoa, God, you would do that for me? I'm trusting and believing in your son and him crucified in the new life that I have because you fulfilled this covenant? The chapter wraps up like this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. He becomes the defining characteristic of our life. He's my God. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I'm in his family first and foremost. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We're heirs because he's promised to do it. I've had the privilege over the years of getting to water baptize some folks. And every time, I make sure to ask them this question. Are you trusting in Jesus and him alone for your salvation? It's as simple as that. Not Jesus plus something, not all the stuff that I bring to the table. Because as righteous as I might be, I'm just like Abraham. I'm a man who's broken and stumbles and fails and makes mistakes and at times questions God. But at the end of the day, I've chosen to put my faith in the work of Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I'm trusting in God to be the one who is faithful, to pour out his grace and his blessing on my life. I'm trusting him and no other, no other philosophy of man, not my own strength and ability to pull myself up by my bootstraps and power through this life. I'm trusting in the complete, full, sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. On the night he was betrayed, he took the cup 
And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This was given for you, for the remission of your sins. That word is bigger than just forgive. Forgive's a big word and it's a good word. It's bigger than that. I don't just forgive them, I wash you clean of them. They have no hold on you. I've got a hold on you. My hand is on your life. My blessing is on your life. My favor is on your life. You are my beloved because I'm willing to walk that bloody path to fulfill the covenant of my promise to you. That's our God. That's our good and faithful God who keeps his promises and loves us and will save us to the uttermost. Amen? I hope you know that Jesus. I hope you're trusting him every single day. And when your faith wavers, know that his doesn't. He's faithful and he fulfills his promises. Let's pray. God, I just continue to be in awe of your inspired word. God, that, that people trusted your spirit as you guided them to write all that is contained in this book, many of them not even fully grasping yet what they were writing, what this contained. And yet, God, from some of the very first words, we see your blessing on humanity, your heart of grace and favor towards us, and your willingness in the midst of all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all the ways that we get so off track and we do things that are destructive in our own lives and in the lives of others. God, that you faithfully are committed to redeem this world. God, thank you that you're a God of promises. Thank you for your covenant of Abraham that was ultimately fulfilled in his offspring way down the line, Jesus Christ, your son. Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed. Thank you that you walked the path we could not walk on our own. Thank you for the covenant you've made with us fulfilled by the pledge of your blood shed for us so that we could be washed clean and made new and that by faith in you, we could be counted as righteous. Thank you that we now get to be called sons and daughters. God, help us to, to live lives in view of your faithfulness, you, the promise keeper, it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.